Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Kansas City Jazz vocalist Molly Hammer. Over the course of our interview, she discussed her career in the thriving Kansas City jazz scene and plans that she has to release some recordings in 2016. These days, she is active at jazz houses like the Green Lady Lounge, and she loves what she does. She's a cancer survivor, part comedian, and has some serious jazz pipes. Take a listen and get to know Molly. Thank you, first of all, for taking some time to talk with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. And what I want to do is I want to start out. I know you're always busy at the Green Lady, but give me a snapshot of not only the Green Lady, but any other live gigs or projects that you're usually involved with or what's going on now. I am the third Saturday at the Phoenix, and I am doing that with a Gypsy Jazz project. That'll be half of those with Adam Goldblum on violin. And so that's kind of a new project um, called Hot Club of Kansas City. And then the other half of the time, I'll just I'll have piano and a jazz quartet. So yeah, Green Lady, of course. I do usually a monthly gig at Chaz on the Plaza, and I use Joe Cartwright for that one quite often. Do you have any recordings out at this time? I I don't, and that's like absolutely right. The first thing on my list to accomplish for this coming year. Very yeah. good. So I grew up in Liberty, so I got to ask you, what yeah. was it like to grow up in the magical area of the Excelsior Springs? <laughs> do you want an honest answer <laughs> yes I do. I, it was a little rough at the time i was growing up there there wasn't a love or support of the arts that i felt especially through my high school years so you know any of the artistic people were outcasts and it's in in that town i got right out of there when i graduated high school and uh, never went back so i do go to visit my parents they still live there and so let me delve back into your life here and get an idea okay. of when did you start singing um i started singing at the end of high school really and i think a lot of i probably would have sung a lot earlier in public but it was i had to overcome a lot of shyness and insecurity um and my mom sort of kind of helped prod me into that you know i started out in theater so I think my very first public singing performance was in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat in high school. The rest is history. So when you were a kid, obviously you started later singing. What did you Mm -hmm. want to be when you grew up, when you were growing up? Um, I wanted to be a professional cheerleader or an oceanographer. Those were my two main choices as a child. Very cool. Yeah, those did not come to fruition. Thank God. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Well... And then along with the singing, you've had some theater experience. Talk to me a little bit about that. That seemed to be a natural path to go down, you know, when I when I first started singing and performing. So I ended up going to college for that. Went for, I was on the six-year plan, as, as many of us do. Yeah. And uh, I, I spent a great deal of my professional life doing theater. I became a union member, and I learned a lot in, in the theater. But it's, I started to outgrow aspects of it. I think it was the aspect of being told what to do all the time. I think that's what has sort of made me fall out of love with working in the theater. I, I just wanted to just start making my own choices. You know, I didn't want to be told, take two steps downstage and, and look slightly to the left and sing the exact notes I tell you to sing. You know, I wanted to um, make my own song choices and create my own set lists and start singing the music that really spoke to me. Well, and speaking of taking control, someone like Patsy Cline did that. If you... It, it mentions in your bios that that was a pretty big deal for you when you were an always past decline. Talk to me a little bit about that experience. 
Oh, that was a great experience. It was weird. I was um, living in the middle of Iowa, working for a professional theater there, like a union theater. I played Patsy Cline for about five years, not constantly, but you know, the show would get reproduced over and over again. I became known in the area as Patsy Cline. Like people didn't even call me Molly anymore. They would be like, hey, Patsy, you know, at the gas station. So that aspect of it was kind of weird. But in the aspect of learning her music, that was such a rewarding experience as a vocalist to um, to delve so deeply into her singing style because I feel like every experience that you have as a performer or singer, it just kind of adds a layer onto your ability. You know, it just puts like a new thing in your wheelhouse, so to speak. So I feel like singing her music taught me a different way of singing, the way she held on to notes for so long, you know, and sort of cascading quality of her voice. That was an experience that I do cherish. So speaking of layers, uh, talk about mm-hmm. your time with the Brazilian Jazz Trio and kind of getting this love of, of Latin jazz and singing your Portuguese. That was an ad I answered on Craigslist forever huh. ago. I haven't had to look to Craigslist in a long time, which is nice. But yeah. um, <laughs> it was such a great challenge, and it really kick-started my love of not just Brazilian jazz, but jazz in general. Singing Brazilian music is the polar opposite of singing Patsy Cline. Patsy Cline is rich and lush and vibrato, and Brazilian jazz is crystalline and pure, and it's it's holding long notes with no vibrato. And I think to be the best vocalist you can be, to be able to do all of those things is 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 wonderful. There's just something so gentle and Brazilian jazz sounds like it just sounds like waves crashing on an ocean. It's that just sort of almost hypnotic beauty to it. Yeah, that that's the other layer of of being able to just pull back and sing with just using less. This is just kind of a less is more idea, which is important to employ. So, another big aspect of what you're doing these days is you're very much still part of the Kansas City jazz scene, which is flourishing these days. Talk to me about being involved in this Kansas City jazz scene. What do you like so much about it? It's a really great scene in Kansas City. I think people who live in New York would be shocked if they, you know, if they know nothing about the Kansas City scene, you know, and they think New York's it, you know, come to Kansas City and get a taste of, there's just so much good music happening, so many different places. So I love being a part of something that's, that is flourishing, like you said. You know, take a little trip down to the ship and, like, get an earful of something that's going on down there. Or, you know, the Green Lady is just hopping on any given night. There's there's just a lot of a lot of great music happening and so many talented people. And that that's really impressive to me, the, the level of talent and the level of musicianship that, that is happening in KC is, is pretty amazing. Talk to me a little bit about teachers. Who would you say has taught you the most about music? Teachers, that's good. I would say that there's a few people as far as jazz. I'll just say Joe Cartwright was was my mentor for the past few years. He was always willing to meet with me and rehearse with me and give his time to propel me forward and help me be a band leader. And that's that's something that a lot of people, when they start singing jazz, don't realize that if you want to be a jazz singer, you also have to learn to be a band leader. And I'm telling you, I'm still learning that. It's a, <laughs> it's it's not something that you learn overnight. I think it takes years of experience. 
So as far as being a band leader and musicianship and that kind of thing, definitely Joe Cartwright. Ken Laverne, who I who I work with a lot, has taught me a ton. And Marilyn May is uh, somebody that I've now done two master classes with her. And so I think as far as performing, Marilyn May is who I've I've learned the most from about just how to how to sing a song and tell a story and just things like, you know, your body movements and stuff like that. Marilyn is just the master. Well, speaking of stories, you're a cancer survivor, correct? Yeah, I am. Talk to me a little bit about that, How what that's taught you about not only how you approach music and, and how you approach life. It de- definitely does change you. It's been seven years for me now, and it, it kind of gives you this like, well, if I don't do it now, I may never do it attitude. You don't sweat the small stuff anymore. I mean, everybody says that, and it sounds so cliche, but it's very, very true. You just learn not to take things for granted, and you learn to just go ahead and do. And I will say, I think the biggest way that cancer changed me as far as my career goes is that I started saying yes to so many things. I said yes to things that seemed maybe they like they wouldn't be fruitful or, or they were kind of weird gigs, but all those yeses, led me in different little paths. I met people or, you know, I got a really cool gig from this person that happened to be at that weird gig that I said yes to. So, yeah, I think I became a yes person. I mean, there comes a point where you have to start saying no, but sure, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I'll try that. I'll try anything. You want me to sing these weird songs at this weird gig? Okay, you know. (laughs) So I'm going to hop back into the Kansas City lore real quick here and ask you, you know, we we are a town steeped in such history and lore. What is mm-hmm. the most interesting thing to you about the history of Kansas City, maybe 18 and Vine, Pendergast years? What really grabs you and makes you think, man, that, that, was, that was cool? Well, from what I understand, it was like a constant party going on in Kansas City, probably something that couldn't continue at the, at the speed and that, that it was going. But I just – if I could just go back and be immersed in that for a day, that would just be amazing just to feel what it would have been like, you know? Yeah. Because, of yeah. course, the scene is completely different as it, as it would have to be. But, yeah, just look what a party it must have been. So let me ask you this. Why do you love jazz? I love jazz because I love the standards and I love how they're so timeless. I love being able to make my own imprint on those songs. I love the challenge of singing bebop tunes. I love how varied a set list I can make and still, you know, have it be in the realm of jazz. I love the openness of it. I I love the 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 all the different bands I can put together to create different sounds. I might feel like I want two guitars and a violin like with a gypsy jazz sound or I might decide I want, you know, piano, bass and drums. And that that whole thing just really appeals to me. So, let me ask you this. You mentioned Marilyn May. Are there any other people that you would consider jazz heroes for you? Well, a, a lot of them have passed on. The, the women I listen to the most are Dinah Washington, Ella Fitzgerald, Astrid, Gilberto, Peggy Lee, Anita O'Day. Those women are all jazz heroes to me. Yeah. And they all come with such a different vocal style. There's something to be learned from all of those styles and something to be taken. Marilyn's probably the living jazz legend that I I actually have a personal relationship with her so that changes the the field there for that. Well, let's whittle the list down here. If you could get into a time machine and see anybody <laughs> live in any place, where would you go? Who would you see? 
Man, I don't know where I'd go, but I think I'd have to see Ella. And I, maybe it's trite, but but she just had it all going on, and the skill with which she delivered a tune, I I, I don't think it's ever been matched. So I can't say where I'd see her, but uh, I would definitely go back and catch an Ella Fitzgerald show. Yeah. So you you mentioned in the upcoming year that there's a plan for getting recordings out. Is there any other plans in your future? Say we we hook up in 10 years and talk and I say, what's going on? What do you, what would you like to see happen in your career? I would like more shows at the blue room. That's a hard place to get into. Yeah. So I'd I'd like to figure that out, figure out how to get a relationship going there. I would like more than one recording. I started a Andrew sisters style acapella vocal group. Um, and we've had about, We've we've had quite a few gigs already. I'd like to see that take off more. Um, I love doing that and singing in harmony. Uh, big festivals. Yeah. I love festivals. Um, got to do Jazz in the Woods this past year and um, a couple other festivals, Eureka Springs, and um, I had a blast. Bring on the festivals. Yeah, there you go. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Yeah. So everything's going to come down to this final question. I'm going to ask you this. All of okay. your... Your family has a perception of you. Your friends do. Everybody you perform to does. Tell me who you think you are. A, just a goofy person who wears their heart on their sleeve. If there is something I'm feeling, people will know. There's no real mystery to me. I'm, I just kind of walk around pretty open, yeah. which is hard sometimes, but it's just who I am. Right on. Well, hey, thank you for your time again. Good luck. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Molly for her contribution to a thriving KC jazz scene and that spirit that we all dig. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or visit the neonjazz.blogspot.com for all things neon jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.